Hello and welcome to this episode of Before Economics, the history of political economy. In early 2016, before he became president, Donald Trump gave a campaign speech regarding his plans for US foreign policy. Trump's central message was that American interests needed to come first, at the expense of the interests of other states. Much of the force of Trump's speech derived from the fact that it not only set out a new vision, but also contained a warning as to the costs of failing to follow it. As Trump said, no country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. Of course, Trump was hardly unique in discussing the interests of states. Slingsby Bethel made a very similar claim more than 300 years earlier. As he wrote, the prosperity or adversity, if not the life and death of a state, is bound up in the observing or neglecting of its interest. The statement comes from Bethel's short pamphlet, The Present Interest of England Stated, published in 1671. Bethel was working in a tradition of political writing that we can call interest analysis. It had begun some 30 years earlier in France, and by the time Bethel took up his pen, it had spread across Europe, with leading examples from the Netherlands, Germany and England. The central idea was to discover the objective interests of a state, and then recommend laws and policies that would ensure they were realised. The practice of citizens pamphleteering on matters of state was new and controversial, and only made possible by the flourishing printing trade in 17th century England. Authors could take partisan positions, write anonymously, and carry on fierce polemics with a reply pamphlet capable of being written, printed, and circulated in days. It is from this tradition of public counsel that we have inherited the language of national interests that Donald Trump used so effectively in his campaign speech. The crucial difference between Trump's world and Bethel's is that in Bethel's time there was no broad-based movement supporting free trade and that politics and economics were not yet separate disciplines. In the 17th century, wealth and power were thought to be tightly connected state interests, and interest analysis examined them both simultaneously. Today we find that economists and foreign policy advisers are rival species, but Bethel shows us that this was not always the case. Bethel was well placed to write on trade, being the younger son of a northern family whose wealth was founded on both land and commerce. Since the eldest son would expect to inherit the family lands, at the age of 20, Bethel joined the merchant community in Hamburg and lived abroad for more than a decade. After his return to England in 1649, he enjoyed a period at the Centre of Action, advising the Council of State on Trade, becoming a Member of Parliament and sitting on the Navy Committee, a merchant and a statesman. What were the key interests of the English state? Bethel's answer was trade and security. This would not be an uncommon answer today, but Bethel's reasoning is strikingly different from ours. He claimed that trade was the first domestic interest of England because it was crucial for defence. As an island, England could not have a land empire, and neither could it be conquered so long as its navy was in good condition. And this was the key to Bethel's argument. While England excelled in foreign commerce, it would have a ready supply of sailors and ships to fight its enemies at sea. With such a strong navy, England could maintain the balance of power and so guarantee its own security. This notion of the balance of power was a crucial concept in the 17th century. Here is Michele Chiaruzzi, Assistant Professor at the Department of Political and Social Sciences at the University of Bologna. We can recognise in ancient times, for example, a practice of balancing you know, orders so to speak, keep the balance between uh, unequal forces, doing exactly what we can imagine as you know, balancing policy that is 
to uh, put your weight on the part of the weak, weak side. The 16th century, 17th century, moving around, you know, modern age exactly, it's exactly the period when yeah, the idea of the balance of power became uh, a concept, a political concept. The concept of the balance of power was used by English writers, including Bethel, to imagine a role for England in the affairs of Europe. If writers accepted that England was ill-suited to a land empire because it was an island, then the balance of power concept could suggest an even more eminent part for England to play on the European stage as the keeper of the liberties of Europe. Exactly during that period, England became part of the game. And, and later in time, in one or two centuries, uh, England will become you know, uh, the imagine of the symbol of you know, the, the state uh, acting as a balancer on the continental Europe between France and Spain between the two opposite poles, uh, the two opposite uh, threats to the liberties of, of Europe. The danger to the liberties of Europe that Bethel identified was France, the state that threatened universal monarchy, having overtaken Spain in power under the rule of Louis XIV, the so-called Sun King. Bethel urged England to pursue its true interests by forming a lasting alliance with the Dutch and treating France as an enemy. With France identified as the threat to Europe's liberties, Bethel shifted to analyse the tactical situation. His leading advice concerned the protection of key trading ports in the Netherlands. Bethel reasoned that if France were to gain control of these ports, then the Sun King would come to rival England in commerce, tipping the balance of power in France's favour. Here we see how the balance of power concept obliged states to think of their interests as requiring constant attention to the strength of rival states. It was not intended to preserve peace, but liberty, and the cost of liberty would be continual warfare, or at least constant readiness for war. Michele K. Rutzigen. The most relevant issue for those that were thinking about the balance of power wasn't peace, but was security. The concept of security was strictly related to the concept of the balance of power, of uh, equilibrating forces, uh, to do what, in theory? Of course, to impede uh, the universal monarchy, as we know, and in a positive way, to keep the uh, liberties of states intact. As it happened, in 1672, the year after the publication of Bethel's pamphlet, the Third Anglo-Dutch War broke out and England joined with France in an attempt to destroy the Dutch Republic and claim its maritime trade. Bethel thought the war was a foreign policy disaster, a failure to clearly identify the national interest. This is the sharp end of the tradition, which explained failures to act on the national interest as either errors of statecraft or acts of corruption. The latter came to be widely detected in the case of the Third Anglo-Dutch War, in which King Charles II and his court were suspected of succumbing to Catholic influence. We might say not unlike the troubles that Mr Trump currently faces regarding allegations of Russian influence. The Third Anglo-Dutch War resulted in a stalemate and France's attempts to achieve dominance over Europe would be continually thwarted by a union of England and the Dutch in which trade was used as a weapon. Like many of his peers, Bethel did not regard economic wealth and military power as separate, distinct phenomena. In this period, uh, in that period, there wasn't any divide between politics and economics in the way that we use today the two terms. 
power, I mean, security and economy, or power, military power and, and wealth. Uh, during that period, uh, security was in a way a unitarian concept composed by different aspects, wealth and power, economy and politics, military and finance, trade and material security in terms of physical security. So this is a pretty contemporary division, you know, it's a sort of anachronism. An anachronism, a thing out of place chronologically. Bethel and his society did not think of wealth the way we do. Above all, they were not prepared to separate the analysis of wealth from the analysis of power. And neither, it seems, is Mr. Trump, the current president of the United States of America. This episode of Before Economics was brought to you by the European Society for the History of Economic Thought, written and spoken by me, Dr. Ryan Walter, at the University of Queensland. Special thanks to Dr. Michele Chiruzzi. The audio engineer was Ni Adepoyebi.